Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. There's a, um, an admiral uh, in the Navy, um, Admiral William McRaven, Chancellor, I believe he's a Chancellor of uh, University of Texas, and um, gave a commencement address. He's, he's, he's kind of... Um, He's kind of known for his the power of his commencement addresses that he gives to graduates. You may have heard uh, of this guy. One one of the things he said is that if you want to change the world, then start by making up your bed. Have you ever heard that? I mean, that's again, that's a that's a good one. And, and, and I encourage you to go find that YouTube. Watch that. It's an unbelievable address that he gives to the students there. But there was one a challenge that he gave to the students one time at a graduation ceremony in recent uh, days. Where he said this, he said, if every, I'll check this out. He said, if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those folks changed the lives of another 10 people, just 10, then in six generations, this class will have changed the lives of the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. It changed the lives of 10 people, who then changed the lives of 10 people, who then changed the lives of 10 people. In six generations, this class will have changed the lives of the entire population of the world. Eight billion people. I know it's hard for us to get our brains around that. It's hard for us to think about those kinds of numbers and those kind, that kind of impact. And certainly, man, what a challenge to those graduates to think about that. But man, what a challenge to us as a church. What a challenge to me as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as the church, what a challenge for us to impact the world. For us as a church to change the world. Change the world. And that's what we're called to. And I know sometimes we say that and sometimes we just can't, We just and we'll talk about that some in the message today, but sometimes it's hard for us to just get a, get a grip on that, but I hope that today that, that we'll get a fresh understanding of really what God can do, what God wants to do, what God will do through us as the church, as we go to make disciples of all nations. Y'all know we just, that was our memory verse the last couple of weeks. We do a memory verse every Sunday. If you're a guest here, we do a memory verse every Sunday. We believe in the importance of Scripture memory and having that discipline going on. And we just finished up memorizing Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, which is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, y'all listen to me. He didn't mean go and make disciples of the United States of America. That's not the nation he's talking about. He's not talking about nations like that. Canada, the United Nations. He's not talking about those kinds of nations. That Greek word there, when he said go and make disciples of all nations, that Greek word means go and make disciples of all the, all the people groups of the world. All the people groups of the world. Not nations, but all the people groups of the world. And there are thousands upon thousands, something like 4,500, 5,000 different people groups that have yet to be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ 
around our world. And for instance, like just this morning, I've got an app on my phone. I encourage you uh, to put this app on your phone. There's, a, there's an organization called the Joshua Project. And what it does, you can put that app on your phone and every day it will tell you, it will give you a people group to pray for that is unreached. For instance, today, right here, my phone right here, the, the people group that I'm praying for, we're praying for today. Wait a minute, let me touch and say we're praying. There we go. All right, we've joined in praying for the Hindi people right here in the United States of America. That's a group of 1,155,000 people, and there's only 2% of them that are Christians right here in the United States of America. So you see what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the, the, uh, the entire nation of America. I'm talking let's break it down to the people groups. Who's going to go to these people, to this girl right here? God, God, I pray for this young lady right here. That if she doesn't know Jesus as her Lord and Savior, God, that you'll speak to her heart. And that the spiritual awakening among the Hindi people will start right here with this young lady. Every time when this pops up on my phone, every day it pops up about 7 o'clock with a reminder for me to pray for whatever people group of that day. And so I, that's why I like this app, because I pray for that person. I don't know them, but that's one of the people. And God, if she doesn't know Jesus, I pray that she knows Jesus, that we will make disciples of all nations, all people groups. And we, the, the, we can do that. And God, the way that we do that and the way that we are commissioned to do that, to go and make disciples of all nations, is that we've got to mobilize ourselves as change agents in this world. And that's, listen, y'all, that's the power of generational multiplication growth. Now, let me tell you what that means. You'll, I hope that you'll see that here in just a second. But that's what happens. Generational multiplication growth happens when we all take seriously, when John Daniels takes seriously my participation in the work of the church in evangelism and discipleship. What starts happening in evangelism and discipleship, what starts happening is we start impacting generations of people. And we start multiplying, not adding. Now, I never was really good in math in school. That was my weakest subject. But I know that there's a difference between addition and multiplication. And I know my adding things, you can do that, but when you start getting to multiplication tables, all of a sudden the numbers get bigger real quick. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to take a look at a chart on this, on this uh, uh, slide right here. And I'm sorry, those of you all over there can't see it. So if you want to move where you can see it, that, that's, that's okay. One of these days we're going to get some screens put over there on that side where everybody over there can see. So y'all just, we're going to do that one day. One day. So here, I want you to see this. So in the left column, here's the addition column. So check this out. If, if you and I, if, if I was made a commitment that I was going to reach one, listen, listen to this. I was going to reach one person for, with the gospel every day of the year. I was going to win one person to faith in Jesus every day of the year. By the end of this year, if I start on January the 1st, by the end of this year, I would have won 365 people to faith in Christ. Wouldn't that be incredible? <laughs> Wouldn't that be Unbelievable. And if I did that for the next 16 years and won one person of faith in Christ every day for 16 years in a row, at the end of 16 years, I would have won 5,840 people of faith in Christ. Oh, man, wouldn't that be incredible, unbelievable if we were to do that? 
But check this out. If I was to win one person of faith in Christ, one, one person and disciple that one person for one year, and then the next year he and I then win another person of faith in Christ and then disciple those people, and then the next year the four of us then do that again, at the end of 16 years we would have won 65,536 people to faith in Christ. You see the difference in the power of multiplication, not addition? Now look, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you, you win 365 people to faith in Christ this year? Good gracious a lot, man. Praise the Lord for that. So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I want you to understand. But the power of multiplication, that's why the title of this message is Multiplication, Not Addition. And that's what we're going to take a look at as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So grab your Bibles. Well, let me tell you something. I really, I'm, not, I'm not picking on anybody or anything like that. I want you to understand that. But I, I say it a lot, and I'm going to say it again. It's so important that you bring your Bible to worship if you can. Because, and I'll show you why here in just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 is what we're going to look at today. So we've already, we've already said it when, in our memory verse. But I want you to open your Bible and have your Bible open on your lap and maybe have a pen in your hand. Here's three pens up here if somebody needs a pen. i got a pen in my pocket, too, if anybody needs a pen. There, there's some right there. Because um, I want you to do, I want you to do something. With your Bible, uh, they just fell out of the chair, but that's all right. So I want you, Second Timothy chapter two, verse two. So stand up. And let's read this verse again. We're memorizing it, but let's read it now out of our Bibles here. Second Timothy two two. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay, read it again. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. May God bless the reading of that wonderful verse of Scripture. Let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, thank you for this word. Speak to us. Teach us. Empower us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. All right, so keep your Bible open. Hang, hang on to it there. Um, you know, it's interesting. People's last words are interesting. Famous last words. You hear people talk about famous last words. Uh, General Robert E. Lee, his last words were, strike the tent right before he died. Strike the tent. It's time to go. If you strike the tent, you're pulling the tent up because it's time to go. And so he said, strike the tent. Um, Steve Jobs, who just died a few years ago, uh, interesting, interesting that his last words were this. Three times in a row, he said this. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. wonder what was going on. The poet Emily Dickinson said, I must go in for the fog is rising. Um, Princess Di, when she was in that car accident, when the paparazzi were, uh, was chasing them through the streets. Of, was, was it Paris? Were they, was it Paris? Some of you ladies that know Princess Di, tell me, was it Paris? Yeah, okay, all right, thank you all. So I thought it was. So, uh, you know, chasing, her through, chasing them through the streets and they had the wreck in that tunnel and one of the guys with the paparazzi heard her say, oh, God, what happened? Right before she died in that car accident. Um, Pistol Pete Maravich. How many of y'all know who Pistol Pete Maravich was? He was a great basketball player from days gone by. And uh, he was getting ready to go into a pickup basketball game. Just about to go play basketball. His last words were, I feel great. Started playing basketball. 40 years of age, dropped dead on the basketball court of a heart attack. Last words were, I feel great. Uh, Michael Landon, 
little house on the prairie, star little house on the prairie. His uh, family was gathered around him right before he died, and and uh, they they said to him like some like maybe you have at the bedside of a loved one. They said to him, "So it's time it's time to go. It's time for you to go." And and he said to them, "You're right. It's time. I love you all." And then he died. I talked about Robert E. Lee, Confederate, at the beginning. There's a union uh, a union general by the name of John Sedgwick. And General Sedgwick, this was, <laughs> these were his last words. His last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant at that distance. And the reason he said that is because his soldiers around him were ducking while a Confederate sniper was shooting at him. They were ducking, and he said, they couldn't hit an elephant at that distance. He's dead. So, uh, you know, your last words are pretty interesting. Uh, and so Second Timothy are Paul's last words. These are his last written words. And so they're important. Not that his other words and his other letters are not important. But Paul's, this is his last words. So they're important. They're inspiring. They're impactful. They're, 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 they're so important here. And they give a lot of, uh, a lot of <coughs> insight to his thoughts and his ministry as he is sitting in a prison cell writing this. Get, get, get in this moment. Get in this place. Think about it. He's writing. He's literally writing a letter in a prison cell. A prison cell was like a, wasn't like an Andy Griffith jail cell in Mayberry. It was, it was like a cave. A deep, dark, nasty, cold cave. <clears throat> and that's where he's writing this last letter to Timothy. He had poured his life into Timothy in discipleship. And so Timothy was a young pastor and Paul's trying to help him understand he was the pastor of a church in Ephesus. Paul's trying to help him understand some of the things you've got to know to be a pastor. I'm 57 years old. I've been a pastor for a long time. There's still a lot of stuff I still don't know about being a pastor. Always learning. And so Paul's trying to help Timothy understand these are some of the some of the things you've got to have in your life to be a pastor, to be a man of God, but to serve the church the way you... And you can just feel the urgency and the passion in, in Paul's words as he just continues to exhort Timothy to stay faithful, man, stay faithful, stay faithful. So this is why I want you to have your Bibles open because I want to do a quick overview of the book of 2 Timothy, uh, just a kind of a 35,000-foot flyover of this book and give you... Four things that you can remember as you look at. So grab your Bible with a pen, and at the top of chapter 1, write those words, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Chapter 1 is talking about Timothy, Paul telling Timothy, man, keep the fire burning in your life. There's a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, for, I remind you, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift that is within you. Let me ask you something. Is your fire going out? You used to be on fire for the Lord, but now you're just kind of a barely glowing ember. Paul's telling Timothy here in chapter 1, he's going to keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Chapter 2, he tells them, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Chapter 2, that's what he told him. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. Serving the church, taking care of people, teaching the people. Do what you're supposed to be doing. That's where, that's where he says, 
the things you've heard from me and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. But he just keeps, he says, man, be like a soldier, man. Keep serving the Lord like a soldier. Be like a farmer. Keep sowing the seed and working the, working the ground. Be, just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, man. There's something about consistency and faithfulness and just keep going. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Don't get on the sidelines. Don't go up into the stands when you're supposed to be on the field or on the court. Keep going and keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. People are counting on you, Timothy. People are counting on you, Christ follower. Chapter 3, the theme of chapter 3 is keep pressing on in the midst of difficult days. So just, hey, Paul wanted to tell, let Timothy know, hey, it ain't always, it's not always going to be easy. He says there in chapter 3, he said, man, mark this. In the last days, it's going to be bad. It's going to be difficult times in the last, last days. Man, people are going to be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. They're going to be boastful, proud, arrogant, abusive to their parents, not disobedient to their parents. They're going to run their mouths. They're going to do this. They're going to say they love God, but they really don't love God. Does that sound like 2022 to you? Sound like right now today? See how this applies to us? Keep going even in the midst of the difficult days. Keep pressing on in the midst of difficult days. It is hard. And it ain't going to get easier. <laughs> and then chapter 4, he, he just finally tells him, keep going and finish well. Finish well. I'll tell you something, as a 57-year-old man, that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. I want to finish well. I don't know how much longer I got on this earth. And Pistol Pete said, man, I feel great. And Ten minutes later, he's laying dead on a basketball court. I don't know how much longer I've got. But however much longer I do have, I want to finish well. I want to cross the finish line. I want to finish strong. I want to finish well. And listen, you can too. It doesn't matter how you started. And it doesn't matter how bad you've messed it up between when you started and right now. You can start today and finish well. Amen? You can start today by the grace of God and finish well. And so that's what Paul said. That's why it's important for you to have your Bible so you can jot this stuff down and go, okay, now I see this. I see what Paul is trying to say to what Paul is talking to us. Now go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and in the margin of your Bible, write these words. If you've got a little tiny margin like I do, you may have to just write real small or write it up at the top and draw an arrow down to chapter 2, verse 2, and write these words, New Testament definition of discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, New Testament definition of discipleship. That's what this verse is. It is the New Testament definition of discipleship. So circle that verse, put a star beside it, highlight it, underline it, whatever you want to do. But this verse, listen to me, this verse tells us exactly what we are supposed to be doing. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them and teach them. So we know what Jesus said to do, and then Paul said, this is how you do it. You don't have to wonder anymore. What are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. When you hear me say discipleship, you think 2 Timothy 2.2. The things that you so you receive. So this verse, no, all right, all right, all right, listen. So this verse assumes that you have a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to assume that. Because Paul's writing to Timothy, who did have a relationship with Jesus. So I'm not going to assume that everybody in here, everybody that's watching this service right now, knows Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you don't, then give your life to Jesus. 
Come to faith in Christ. Call out to Him and be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So come to Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So, but this verse starts with that. So this verse, 2 Timothy 2, 2, you receive, you're saved, and you receive biblical teaching and you grow. All right, so that's the first part. The things Paul said to Timothy, the things you have heard from me. When, we, when you and I have been spending time together, Timothy, and I've been teaching you, and I've been showing you Scripture, and I've been talking to you about the Lord, and I've been talking to you about how to stay faithful, and I've been talking to you about how to keep that fire burning, and I've been, the things that you have heard from me. So you, you come to know Jesus, and then you receive biblical truth. I, I believe that you're receiving biblical truth right now. When, when, when I'm preaching, I, I promise I'll do my very best to, to preach biblical truth, and you receive it, and you grow but then you take that, what you have received, and then you reach out to other people with that. And you share the truth with them, and you win them to, the, to faith in the Lord. And then you reproduce yourself in them. The things you have heard from me, you entrust to faithful men and women. You, you give what I've given to you to them so that they can reproduce that in somebody else. And then you go back and redo the process over again. That's it. That is it. That's discipleship. And the application for this message is that each of us is called to make disciples who will make disciples. We are called to make disciples who will make disciples. Y'all, listen. This is what we must commit ourselves to as a church. It's what we got to do. And when I say church, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I got to be committed to it. I got to be committed to making disciples who will make disciples. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a pastor that receives a paycheck from a church. It has everything to do with the fact that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's what we must do. It's what I was preaching on last Sunday from my bonus room upstairs in my house uh, when I had COVID. Is that it is evangelism and discipleship, discipleship and evangelism, evangelism and discipleship, discipleship and evangelism. It is both and, both and not either or. Win one, disciple one. Win one, disciple one. Back to the graph. Win one, disciple one. This year, that's why at the beginning, first Sunday of this year, I challenged you, win one person of faith in Christ and disciple that person in their walk with Jesus. Do that in 2022. And if the Lord lets us get to 2023, do it again in 2023, but make sure that that person that you disciple is going to do the same thing. And if the Lord gives us 2024, do it again. But make sure that those people are doing it. It's what we have to do. And so I want to give you, it's a total church mindset. It's what we must do. It's not what they do, it's what we do. It's personal relationships. Y'all listen, the early church in the first and second century did not grow through revivals and mass evangelism crusades and through, through programs in the church and stuff like that. I'm all about revivals. We'll probably have another revival this year. I'm about some crusades. Billy Graham was awesome. I'm about programs in the church and ministry. I love our youth ministry and children's ministry and everything else. But everything has to point toward evangelism and discipleship. It's about personal relationships. Building those personal relationships. Listen, y'all, the only number that Jesus is concerned about and the only number that Jesus is counting is the number of disciples being made. 
That's the only number Jesus cares about. We talk about the number of people in life groups. We're going to take a look at the number of people. We count the number of people that come to worship every Sunday. We count the money every Sunday. We make sure we do that. And we do all this kind of... But the number that Jesus cares about is the number of disciples being made. Our perspective, our mindset has got to change. Our perspective has got to be altered from thinking that it's somebody else's job to do this, to, to believe in and for, to the depth of my soul that it's my job to do this. It's my job to do this. Our attitude has got to do an about face from let the preachers and the ministers to do it to let me do it. Let me do it. There's four statements I'm going to give you that help us understand the importance of and the impact of multiplication discipleship. Number one, stop seeing evangelism as necessary, but discipleship is optional. Stop seeing evangelism as necessary, but discipleship is optional. Now, I've probably been guilty of this. I know I have. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, God's burning in my heart the importance of this statement. Don't see evangelism as necessary, but discipleship. We've got to get a bunch of people saved. That's the truth. And when I, when I hear the number 4.5 billion lost people in the world, I'm just burdened that we've got to see more people get saved. And I'm all about that. You know that I want to see people come to know faith in Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, please come to Jesus today. But a lot of times our, our evangelism efforts focus solely on conversion. That born again moment. When, when you're born again, Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when you come to know Jesus, you are born again. But listen, we need to understand this. The born again moment is not the end of the disciples' journey. It's just the beginning. The born again moment is not the end of the disciples' journey. It's just the beginning. Yesterday, uh, you know, Vicky and I had... Hudson, our newest grandson, over to the house. Uh, he didn't come by himself. Russ and Emily brought him, but uh, they, they came over. And, and so we were sitting there, and he's, I mean, he's just growing. He's like nine pounds now. He's just, he's just so good. He's just growing. and He's just growing so much and all this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. That's wonderful right now. But if a year from now he's still nine pounds, we got a, we got a problem. If 10 years from now he still weighs nine pounds, we have a serious problem. And there's a whole bunch of Christians that say they have known Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years and they're still nine-pound babies. Because we just see this born-again moment. Of, Yay, you came to know Jesus. You're on your own now, bro. We've got to stop seeing evangelism is necessary, but discipleship is optional. Listen, at some point... In Timothy's life, he came to know Jesus. And so, I don't know, if you back up to chapter 1, verse 5, maybe it was through his grandmother. You grandmothers, there's a great opportunity for you to reach out and share Christ with your grandkids. But chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois. Maybe it was Grandma Lois that led Timothy to faith in Christ. But then he went on to say, and in your mother Eunice. Well, maybe it was Mama Eunice that led him to faith in Christ. Or maybe it was Paul himself, because Paul then said, hey, I, 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 I want to remind you, fan into flame the gift that's in you through the laying out of my hands. So we know that Paul was involved in Timothy's spiritual life. I don't know exactly who led Timothy to faith in Christ, but I'll tell you something. 
It didn't stop there. Obviously, it did not stop there once Timothy came to faith in Jesus. It kept on going. And it's got to keep on with us too. Robbie Gallaty said, an evangelism strategy that does not lead to discipleship is, is not biblical evangelism and a discipleship strategy that does not lead to evangelism is not biblical disciple making. It is both and. Both and. So we've got to stop seeing evangelism as necessary. Yeah, John, man, I'll wear the bracelet. Yeah, John, I'll try to win one person of faith in Christ. But this discipleship thing, mm, I don't know about that. It's both and. Dr. David Jeremiah said, disciples are made when new believers are taught the word. They're led by example and then trained to transfer the faith to others. He said, every Christian's legacy. You want to leave a legacy? He said every Christian's legacy should include an enduring testimony and a commitment to discipleship. What's your legacy going to be? What are your kids going to remember you for? What are your grandkids going to remember you for? What are people, your friends going to remember you for? What's going to be your legacy? You know, most of y'all know I've been a firefighter for 25 years. Love doing that. But long before there was ever a big red fire engine that you could go and jump on and go fight a fire. The way that they would fight fires back in the olden days were bucket brigades. House catches on fire, so they make a long line of people, and the first guy down here takes a bucket and dumps it into a, a pond or a well or something, gets water and passes the next person, grabs another bucket, dumps it in the water, fills it up, passes the next person, get another bucket, dump it in the water, pass it, because we got a job to do. we got to get that fire out there. House is burning down. Their pasture is on fire. we got to do this and keep passing the bucket until finally you get the job done. But what about the person in the middle just goes, yeah, my, oh, my arms are tired. I ain't going to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And it breaks down. Somebody says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do my part. I'm not doing this anymore. L listen, y'all, Jesus is the water. <laughs> so we need to be passing Jesus and keep passing Jesus and then keep passing Jesus and keep passing Jesus and keep passing Jesus. You want to start a fire? You don't want to put a fire out. You want to start a fire for Jesus? Then let's get a brigade of people going that's going to say, I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to keep it going because it's, 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 it's not just evangelism. It's evangelism and discipleship, and we keep it going. Second statement is this. Start believing that we can truly impact the world with the gospel. Stop thinking it's just evangelism and discipleship is optional. Start believing that we can truly impact the world with the gospel. We hear that population number of the world right now. 7.92 billion people in the world right now. We just go, oh no man, I can't. No way we can impact that many people. No way we're going to make a difference. We just kind of check out and go, well, yeah, that's, how can we do that? Our little old town here in Madison County, Mississippi. How are we going to make a difference, impact the world? If we keep thinking addition, we won't. But if we start thinking generational multiplication, we can Impact the world with the gospel. Impact the world. You, me, impact the world. The impact of the gospel explodes exponentially when you start thinking about multiplication and keep passing it and the next person pass it and then you keep passing it the next person and keep going. Back to that graph. Can we go back to that graph? Can you pull that back up for me? 
Back to the graph at the beginning. All right, so if you do addition, you do addition, end of 10 years, you got 5,840 new believers. Praise God for that. I mean, if one person gets saved, it's good news. Amen, right, right. So I'm not saying that's not important. But then if it's, if it's me and one other person, you get to the end of 16 years, it's 65,500 plus. But you know what? If it becomes three people, if I disciple two people, have a little D group, a little disciple group of three people, I do that the first year, and then there's going to be another little group that's birthed out of that with another group of three, and another group of three, and another group of three. At the end of 16 years, you know how many people we've impacted then? 65,000 is great. 65,500 is great. 43,046,721. I want to tell you something. Vicky didn't like me saying this kind of stuff. I said it at 8 o'clock. She wasn't there, but she's here today, so I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, I'm 57 years old. I don't know. I mean, Pistol Peach dropped dead minutes after he said, I feel great. I could do that right now. I watched a video yesterday of a pastor that was preaching, and he sat, preached and preached his heart out, and he sat out in a chair in front of the, uh, the congregation, and he put his head back, and next thing you know, he just rolled out of the chair, and he was dead in front of the congregation. I hope that's the way I go. If I go, I'd love to just go right here. I'd love to just go preach the gospel. Sorry, Vicky, I'm not. But anyway, I'm just telling you, I just... Uh, but, hey, look, if God gives me another 16 years, if I've got 16 years of ministry left, if I've got 16 years of life left, then that's what I want to do. For the next 16 years, that's what I want to do. If I've got 10 years, if I've got one year, that's what I want to do. And I want to impact the world. And when I look out at this group and I look at the group at 8 o'clock and then Lord willing, if he lets me go preach at 11 o'clock, I look at another group and I see people, if we would make that kind of commitment, y'all imagine the impact that we would make in the world. And we need to start remembering who our God is and how big our God is and what the Word of God says about Him. we got to get out of this little small mindset of well, I, we, what can I do? You can do God's stuff. It's what you can do. Because this next statement is this. Stand on the truth and the authority of God's Word. Understand who God is. Understand the power of God. Understand who, what His Word says. Understand the promises of God's Word. The promises of, if you flipped over to one page to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof and correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The promise of the word of God is that he will equip you for the work that he has called you to do. That's how we make a difference. 2 Timothy 1.7 says God did not give us a spirit of fear and, and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's a promise from the Word of God. That's how we impact the gospel is we believe the promises of God's Word. We believe that His presence is with us. Exodus 33 verses 14 and 15. The Lord said to Moses, He said, My presence will go with you. And you know what Moses said to him? He said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with you, don't send us. We, we don't want to go anywhere without your presence. What's the last thing that Jesus said in the Great Commission? I will be with you. And the Word of God promises His presence to us. The Word of God promises His power for us to do this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, The kingdom of God is not just a matter of a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. 
We have the power of God. The potential that we find from the Word of God. The potential that the Word of God tells us we have in Christ. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, For to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That Greek word for immeasurably more means super abundantly. God is able to do through you and me at First Baptist Church Flora super abundantly more than we can even ask or imagine. And I can ask and imagine a lot. That's how we impact the world. It's because we start believing the truth of God's Word of what He says is true of us. We've got to remember, and the Word of God tells us about our position in Christ. My daddy, I've always, I've told y'all, my daddy used to always say, son, remember who you are. Remember who you are in church, follower of Christ, disciple of Jesus. We need to remember who we are. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, you are a new creation. Second uh, Peter 1.4 says that you and I are partakers of God's nature. Romans 6.6 6 says that we are no longer Slaves to sin. Man, the Word of God says that we are uncondemned members of the body of Christ and we possess a new heart. We have new life. We are seated with Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing and we are more than a conqueror through Christ. Amen? That's who we are. We start believing that kind of stuff. We'll impact the world with the gospel. And the last statement is this, that Paul says, just stick with it until the Lord calls you home. Stick with it until the Lord calls you home. Paul said over there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he's wrapping this thing up. So my favorite verses of Scripture. Where Paul said, man, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. It is almost time for me to go home. And I have fought a good fight. And I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Y'all, that needs to be true of every Christ follower in this room. That you get to the end of your life, which could be today. Could be tomorrow. Could be 16 years from now. And be able to say, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith for the glory of God. I stayed with it until you called me home, Lord. Dr. John MacArthur is a pastor out in California. When he was in college, he ran track in college. And uh, they went to a meet one day, and he was the second man on a three-man relay team, the, uh, the one-mile relay. He was the second man. Gun goes off. First guy, first leg, runs, I mean, like a scalded dog. I mean, he's just running, running. Did a great, good pass, baton, safe passage of the baton to John MacArthur. He takes it, he runs his leg, runs a good leg. Man, he's, he's doing great. Gets to the third guy, pass the baton, safe pass to the baton. Third guy takes a couple of steps, stops, walks to the infield, and sits down. And everybody's just like, oh my gosh, what happened? What's going on? 
said, run over to him, man, you pull a hamstring? I mean, what's going on? You injured? What's happening? Man, what's going on, bro? What, why'd you stop running? Why'd you sit down? And his response to him was, I don't know. I just didn't feel like running. Dude. What are you thinking? The fans are counting on you. The coaches are counting on you. Our team is counting on you. I mean, think about all the time that the coaches have poured into you. Think about all it took for us to get to this point, to be in this meet today, and you're just going to pull up and stop because you don't want to run anymore? Just one brief moment, you're just going to check out? You're just going to say, I'm done? Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Keep passing the baton and keep running. Keep passing the baton and keep running. Keep passing the baton and keep running. Maybe if you're real honest today, you'd have to say, I'm already sitting in the infield. <laughs> That's me right now anyway. I've already checked out. I've already stopped. I haven't been running. I ain't been passing the baton. Hey, that's okay. Get up. Get back on the track. Get the baton back in your hand. And start running again. Listen, y'all, I'm telling you. God wants to do something in you and through you to impact the world, the gospel. So stay in the race. Keep passing the baton. Make that commitment today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us uh, right now in these moments of invitation to hear from you. I pray that we already have, but that we will respond in obedience as you move and speak to us, Lord. Maybe somebody today needs to come to Jesus, be saved today. Lord, pray that that would happen. God, most important decision they'll ever make in their life. Say yes to Jesus. Others of us who would say, you know, right now I'm not running too well. I'm kind of in the infield right now. I've, I've, I've sat down. <laughs> I'm not passing the baton. I'm not passing the bucket of water. I'm just, I'm just kind of out of it right now. But God, you're speaking to their heart. They know in their heart. They, they sense the conviction leadership of your spirit right now, Lord, and they know they got to get in the race. They know. Not because I'm trying to guilt trip them. It's because they know. It's They know. It's the truth of your word. We're supposed to take what we've learned, what we know, give it to somebody else. We'll give it to somebody else. We'll give it to somebody else. We'll give it to somebody else. To help us today. For your glory, to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.